Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could come to you today. We praise and thank you, God, that you are God that does not just make us and set us into motion and then step away, but you are a God that is intimately involved in our lives and you lead us and you direct us. And we give you praise and thanksgiving, God, for that. But Lord, sometimes we, we don't see even the own sin of our hearts, the, the pride that oftentimes wells up within us. Sometimes it's not so obvious to us, but we pray as we stand before your word this day, that you would instruct our hearts. God, that you would uh, not just reveal to us the sin of our hearts, but the hope that we have as those that are trusting in you. And so please speak to us this day. We thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. So we live in a time when we can't exactly predict the future with complete accuracy. But, you know, with computer models and, and projections, we have come to view the future with much more certainty than at any other time in, in history. You know, now, now whenever we have an election, isn't it interesting? We don't even have to wait for all the votes to be in it. I think, you know, only about 10% is necessary before they can proclaim who it is that has won the election. Or if we want to know when the latest storm is going to hit us, we have all these computer models and stuff that can project exactly where the weather's going to change and, and most likely where it's going to hit. I mean, those days of riding across the plains of Kansas in a covered wagon and not knowing that a tornado's coming until the sky turns dark and you see a funnel cloud is long gone. You know, now we can see these things way farther in the future. And we have gotten to the point as a society that we not only want to know what's going to happen in the future, but we expect to know. I mean, if you don't believe me, just let the weatherman be wrong about his prediction. And what do we do? We get very upset. You know, we're like, oh, I can't believe this. You know, they never get this right. You know, but if you really look at it and see the amount of times they get it right, it is amazing to see how often they can tell what's going to happen in the future. But we just have such a high standard of, you know, people ought to not let us down and we ought to be able to predict what's coming up. And this whole idea of thinking about making plans in the future is, uh, this whole idea is all around us. I mean, we're, we're, you know, the latest app that keeps track of all your schedules or or the need to hire a financial planner to, to think about your future and, and how you're going to provide for yourself uh, when you retire. Uh, having a five-year plan for your life or talking about your kid's college fund. You know, or, or even these websites where you know, if you want to know how you can reduce your mortgage payoff, you can get on these websites and plug in and say, if I just paid X amount of dollars extra every month, you know, this is how it would influence my mortgage and how I could pay it off sooner. You know, we're just bombarded with advertisements that challenge us to look to the future. I mean, whether it's insurance companies telling us we need to make sure that we're covered for these things or, or whether it's retirement plans or whatever it might be. And, you know, this has really affected us as a culture. I mean, even you kids, I see it a lot in the kids. You know, you, you know, that's summertime. And so let's just say you decide to take your kids to the YMCA to go to the swimming pool and, and go swimming. And what happens? You know, you get all the kids corralled in the car, you get them to the Y, they get in the pool and they've been there about 10 minutes and they've been swimming and they're enjoying themselves and you go up to one of your kids and what do they say? What are we going to do tomorrow? 
right? They want to know what we're going to do tomorrow. And you're like, what are you talking about? Just enjoy what we're doing today. And yet, oftentimes, they're just always thinking ahead. That's because in our culture, we're just constantly pushing people to have that kind of mentality. So as a society, we are decisively oriented towards the future. Now, that's not all bad. I mean, even the Bible talks about the need to be thinking about the future, right? I mean, planning and prudent preparation for the future are clear truths taught in God's word. I mean, we, we read in Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 about the ant and how the ant doesn't have a, a master or a chief and yet the ant will, will gather up all the food that it needs for the winter time and get that prepared. You know, so there's things like that that tell us that planning is very important. So planning and thinking about the future is really not the problem that James is talking about here in our text today. You know, what, the problem that James is talking about is when we live and we act as though God does not matter. Acting and living as if whatever we plan to do will certainly get done. And living as uh, what one person um, sort of called practical atheism. You know, where we say we believe in God, but the way we practically live is really living more like an atheist than a believer. And so James says in James verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, what's absent from this verse? What's missing? God. God is missing. There's no mention of God or His will or his word or anything whatsoever. I mean, for these wealthy merchants, God's not even part of the picture. They were not considering God's providence or his will, and instead, they gave their own plans the place that actually belongs to God and his plans. They put their plans above that of God. And as a result, they ignored the reality of their dependence on the Lord or a realistic understanding of their own limitations to control the future. And don't we do that sometimes? I mean, think about it. We plan, and we pursue our goals, and in doing that, we can go two weeks, we can go three weeks, we can go a month, we can go six months and do that. And yet, how often do we do that over and over and over, and yet we never get on our knees and we pray to the Lord and we ask for His wisdom? Or do we come to him and bring these before him? And so James wants to sort of give us a reality check in terms of our own heart. And he wants to say, brothers and sisters, when we do this, this is where our pride sort of sneaks in. And just like last week, we talked about our pride in terms of our words that we spoke to one another and how we dealt with one another. And this week, he's talking about our pride in terms of making plans and living our lives without God being part of that. Now, as Christians, we often have a high view of God's providence or his day-to-day -day care for our, uh, his creation. And we know that God is sovereign over the events of human history. And, and just as surely as Jesus calmed the seas of Galilee so he can do the same today. And Christians are oftentimes comforted by God's com uh, covenant promises uh, in their lives and, and the assurance that God is the one who answers believing prayer. We know all those things and yet nevertheless Christians can be presumptuous about the future 
and we can promise ourselves things that God never promised to give to us. And we hold that, which oftentimes we expect to happen with a closed fist. You know, we, we, we not only want it to happen, but we expect it to happen. And if it doesn't, then we get very upset with God and wonder why he's sort of standing in our ways. And I think it's important for us to ask ourselves this morning, is there something in your life this morning that you're holding on to that you expect God to deliver to you? Maybe it's something about your job. Maybe it's something about a relationship with someone else. Maybe it's about some material possessions that, that you're pursuing. Are there expectations that we have of God? Well, James goes on in verse 16, and he says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, that's what he's saying. Whenever we live our lives in such a way and we plan and we, we go through our schedules and we do the things that we want to do, that's arrogance, he says. But then he also says that not only is it arrogance, but all such boasting in these things that we can sort of control our own lives is actually evil. Now, this is the only time in the New Testament that this word for evil is used. And it's a very strong word because James, uh, you know, isn't mincing words here. You know, he says, if we live this way, if we presume upon God, if we say that we can do as we please and we will make our plans, uh, to making no thought for God or, or his will, taking no thought to prayer, taking no thought to seeking his guidance, if that's how we live, then we live as practical atheists and we boast about our lifestyle. And, it's, and it is this boasting that is evil. And so James uses such harsh language by calling our pride evil because following our own heart and our own desires is equivalent to robbing God of his sovereignty and putting ourselves actually in the place of God. And that's the boasting problem all of us face at some point in our lives, isn't it? We're all boasters in something. But in our boasting, are we boasting in the Lord? Or are we boasting in our own abilities to be able to think about the future and to plan well? And how do we guard against being presumptuous, as James warns us against? Well, let me give you a couple of ways. First of all, be mindful of, we need to be mindful of our limitations. We see that in verse 14. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Kids, have you ever seen that? Have you ever gone outside and there's like this little fog on the grass? You know, and you look at that and you go, Mom, Dad, look at that. Isn't that so cool? It's just like there's just this little thing of fog hovering over the yard. But then you go eat breakfast and you come back later. It's just a little bit long later. And all of a sudden, it's all gone. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, that's what you're like. You're like that mist that's just there for a little while, but then it just disappears rather quickly. You know, even though the world knows that it's a mistake to, to count one's chickens before they're hatched, it's all too easy for us to anticipate that our ideas for the future will not only work, will not only work out as uh, we have planned, but we have become to expect our plans for the future to work out so much so that we then begin to live our lives today in light of our future plans. Now, let me give you an example because that was probably a little confusing. 
But how many people have you known that they've worked like a minimum wage job and they've done that for a long time? You know, just barely making ends meet and stuff. And then they get their first real job. I mean, a job with benefits. And it's enough that it gives them extra cash. And so what do they do? They immediately go out and they, they buy some things on credit. Maybe they get a little bit nicer car or, or they uh, buy some toys for recreation or something, you know. But they buy these things on credit knowing that, that they'll have the income to, to pay for this. And so what they do is, is that they look into the future and they make an assessment about the future of I'm making good money now. And so I will therefore have uh, the ability to buy these things on credit and I can pay for them. And so they're making sort of, they're sort of living their lives today based on assumptions about the future. They expect their current income to meet their future credit obligations. You know, and there's nothing wrong per se in that. But how often do we see that happen in which there's really no taking these things to the Lord? There's, there's really a, just a sort of a confidence that we have in ourselves in our own ability to make good judgments about you know, the situation at hand. And yet, how many times have you seen that same thing happen and just right after the person got the job and they went out and they bought all these nice things, then there's a layoff that comes and they lose all the things that they have because they no longer have the income to do that. Or maybe they have some debilitating disease or illness. I know that's not as common, but sometimes that happens. Or, or maybe even I've seen some people, they'll do that, and then they just say, you know, I don't like this job. And they'll just quit, you know, even though they have all these financial obligations. But, but the point is, is that we really don't know what the future is going to hold. We really don't even see. We can't even judge our own hearts sometimes. And so we find ourselves uh, sometimes walking away from good jobs like that. And it was sort of the same way with these people that James is talking about. You know, we might give them sort of a black eye because we read this and, you know, they say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And we say there's no mention of God. But, you know, we have no reason to doubt the judgment of these businessmen that James is referring to. Their hope of success was probably very reasonable. No, no much, no different than the person who, you know, gets the good job and then goes out and buys all these things on credit. But brothers and sisters, hear this. Hear this. Hope without dependence on the Lord is not hope. Hope without dependence on the Lord is presumption. It is not the hope that just uh, is justified in expecting blessing but presumption that says to God, I can do it on my own without you. And a person with such an attitude will surely fail if God loves them. And I say that if God loves them because there are many people who go out and they presume upon the future and they make those decisions and nothing happens. Actually, some of them are very godless people and they succeed wonderfully according to the world. Uh, but, but oftentimes, you know, God challenges his children to... Uh, come back and to trust him and not to live their lives ap apart from him. So as Christians, we ought to know that having confidence in God's provision doesn't mean that we have a blank check to whatever future blessings we may happen to want, even if our desires are noble and good. As I said, you know, Jeremiah talks about how the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, we need to be cautious about the desires of our own heart 
and have a godly tentativeness about what may or may not be the Lord's will where it's not explicitly stated in the Bible. You know, we need to be very, very careful and not let our desires just sort of control us. Instead, we must see the frailty of our lives. Like I said, we are that mist, kids. We're like that little fog that's on the yard. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow like the flowers. We have a short life on earth and we don't know where we'll be tomorrow. And we see that throughout Scripture. So our times, our lives here on this earth are in God's hands, not in our own. Even when we make proper provision for the future, the only life that is truly in our own hands is the one that we're living even in this very moment. And that is the moment that God has given us. So really it's in His hands. Really none of it's in our hands. Now this isn't to diminish uh, the significance of future plans or even our eternal destiny, but to put our lives in perspective. You know, one of the greatest gifts that's been given to me uh, as a man is that I, over the last, oh, I don't know, five years or so, I have had many men, probably four or five men in my life, who have had terminal or, or possibly terminal diseases or illnesses. And I have watched how that has changed their perspective on life and how it has altered that life. And, and they, they begin to talk about the brevity of life. And the reality is, is that's true for all of us. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes a, a, a very debilitating disease like that to open our eyes. But that's why I'm saying it to me, it's a gift. These men are going through these very real situations but I've had wake-up calls oftentimes, and I've been challenged through their lives to, to look at life with a, a, a very different perspective. But too often we live our lives sort of like the rich fool that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 12, verse 20, who he said, you know what, I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns, you know, because I just have so much stuff. I have so much wealth, you know, and so I'm going to build these bigger barns. You know, for us, we just put it up in the attic or out in the garage or we buy a bigger house or whatever, but it's sort of the same mentality. But what he didn't count upon and what we, we oftentimes don't count upon is the Lord saying, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. For the Christian, the unknowable uncertainties of life are laid at the foot of God's throne. God has said that His grace is sufficient for us. He has told us to pray each day for our daily bread, and He has promised to sustain His people and answer their prayers. And so He calls us to have that sense of humility. He's told us not to worry about tomorrow as to what we'll eat or drink, because He knows our needs. Rather, we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to us. I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, I would commend to you today and you parents sit down with your kids and read through Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 and just see the wonderful promises that God has given and how he will care for his people. And this should give us great confidence in the midst of our limitations and our uncertainties in our lives in the future. All those things that we do 
to seek more control in our lives, whether it is to work harder or maybe, you know, we want to, you know, manage our weight. And so we, we exercise or we load up our phone with all these different apps that's supposed to organize our lives and, and bring us all under control. They'll do no good for us. We might feel better about ourselves because we have the illusion of control, but our future is uncertain if we are the master of our own destiny. But if we give up control, wanting to manage not only our lives, but you know what else I see? And maybe it's just because I'm a grandparent, and so maybe it's just the perspective I'm at. But I think sometimes not only do we want to manage our own lives, but we want to manage the lives of everyone else around us rather than resting in the Lord, knowing that our Heavenly Father who gives us all that we need will not only take care of our needs, but even the needs of those who are around us as well. God has made all things, including time and space, and He is not bound by time or space. And so He lives outside of all these things. Which would you rather give control of your destiny to? Really, as we're thinking sanely this morning, would you rather give your, the control of your destiny to a mist that is here today and gone tomorrow or turn to the Lord who is outside of time and space and who has created all things and trust that he will give to us? Especially as you go back and read Matthew 6 and you just see the great love that the Father has for us to meet all of our needs. He loves us graciously. So we not only need to see our own limitations, but we need to have dependence upon the Lord. And we see this in verses 15 through 17. If hope without dependence on the Lord is presumption, then what does a proper hope look like? What does dependence upon the Lord look like? Well, James says in verses 15 through 17, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. First of all, we need to have sort of a holy tentativeness about our lives. You know, James tells his readers to quit acting as if they're in control of their lives and their schedules and stuff. That's proud living. He says instead we ought to say, if the Lord wills. Now, James is not suggesting that before you do everything in your life that you say, if the Lord wills. I mean, no more than you should end every prayer by saying, I pray this in Jesus' name. You know, saying those words is not like a magical incantation that's going to warm God's heart and, and make him think, oh, this is such a pious religious person. This is really more attitude that he wants us to, to come to him with. We are to exhibit an attitude of humility in all of our planning, holding it with an open hand, saying, this is what I'm going to plan, but it may be that the Lord wants something different, and so I will give it to him if he wants to do something different, knowing that God is the one who is in control. And so we're to make plans, but at the same time understand that we have no control. Here again, if you want to read another passage, not only read Matthew 6, 25-34, but also read Proverbs 16, verses 1-7. through as you see uh, the relationship of our works and what God does in our life. But let me read Proverbs 19.21. It sort of sums it up. It says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So we can come up with all the plans we want, but it's going to be the purpose of the Lord that will stand.
But isn't this really hard for us? I mean, living in all of the uncertainties of life, holding the circumstances of our lives with an open hand is so hard. But that's part of what it means to trust God with our lives and the lives of those around us that we feel such responsibility for. How much sleep have you lost this week because you felt the weight of the burdens of your life and the responsibilities upon your shoulders? Jesus wants you to know that you can come to him and to rest in him. Look to him to care for the circumstances of your life. You don't carry that burden. You were not created to carry that burden. Trust in him. Depend upon him. Just because there's uncertainty Hear this, brothers and sisters. Just because there is uncertainty in your life, it does not mean that God is falling down on the job and that you have to step up and you have to pick up the slack. You can trust in Him. He wants you to live in a state of holy tentativeness as you face the circumstances of your life. Only when we truly trust Christ with what is so precious to us can we truly rest in Him. The second thing we see about dependence upon the Lord is really just an unaffected humility before the Lord. And I've already really talked about that, so I just really want to mention in verse 16, James, like I said, uses this strong language for arrogance and boasting, you know, and calling it evil. Well, if that's true, if arrogance is evil, then humility is honoring to the Lord. And he calls us to trust in him with such humility. And then third in verse 17, though, he wants us to have a willing obedience to him. He said, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now this almost seems like a, a tack on verse. Like what, how does, what does this have to do with what he's been talking about? But he's saying if you know what God's word says about the future and the providence of God and what it doesn't say then don't be like the world which ignores this truth and instead does what it wants. Instead, we're to make our plans in trusting the Lord, trusting what His Word has said, looking to His Word and His Holy Spirit to guide us in our plans and our decisions. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Bring the decisions of your life to the Lord. But bring it not just so God can rubber stamp what we desire or what you desire, but to lead us and to guide us. And it's in that that we can rest. God loves you. He wants what is best for you, truly what is best for you. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Do you believe that enough to let go of the things that have really controlled your heart this week? Do you believe that enough to just say, God... You take the burden. I'm going to rest. I'm not going to worry about it. You know, when Jesus walked this earth, it was evident that he was a man of purpose. He was very determined. He knew his calling and he was driven to do it. But, but what you see in that is not an independence from God. What you see instead is a trust in him. That Jesus Christ spent time in prayer, communing with his Father, looking to him for decisions and for comfort, you know, you think about before he, he called his 12 apostles, what did he do? The scriptures say he spent the night in prayer, praying to the Lord, praying to his Father. You know, before he went to the cross, when he was in such agony, 
Even though he knew that was God's will, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweat drops of blood praying that God's will would be done as he was struggling. You know, just the, the, the whole interaction between the son and the father was so intimate and intense. And I, I want us to be careful this morning not to dismiss that too quickly. I think it's so easy to hear that and say, oh, well, that was Jesus. He was God. Brothers and sisters, if we say that, we have just declared a heresy. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And, and he identifies with us and he identifies with struggles. It is evident that Jesus' desires were constantly fixed upon doing the will of his heavenly father. Jesus lived with eternity in mind and it was this eternal perspective of living before the throne of God that allowed him to live in the fallen world with peace and rest and confidence. And so because we are in Christ, we can have that same thing as we look to him. Because we are in Christ and united with him, he works in us to trust the Father in the same way. So let us live with God in eternity weighing much upon our minds this morning. Let us not be like the people who make plans without any thought of God, but instead let us look to him in every little thing. I don't care if you're meeting someone for an appointment to have lunch, pray about that. I don't care if you're going to the grocery store, say, Lord, I know I'm going to get the groceries, but you may have some other plan for what I'm doing. And it's just one of those things where it's just such a blessing to be able to live our lives always in the presence of our God, knowing that he is always under our watchful care. It's not just for big decisions, but it is for everything in our lives. We constantly have the tendency to make this life uh, the main event in eternity, just a simple footnote. But don't count on your time. It's passing away. Don't count on your possessions. They'll, they're going to soon belong to somebody else. And don't count on your career. It's eventually going to be over. But count on this, that eternity is rapidly approaching. And then only those who take refuge in Jesus can face that eternity with confidence. Amen? Let's bow our, our heads for a time of silence and meditation this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth and you lived as a man just as we have. That you were tempted in every way just as we are. It's so easy for us to be caught up in the things of this life and to forget the blessings that we have been given. And even the blessings to rest in you. To not to have to carry the burdens, Lord, that we oftentimes lift up. It's like we want to carry your burdens rather than the things that you have called us to do and to carry. And I pray, Lord, today for all of us as a congregation that as we go about this week, that we would be mindful of you, mindful of the reality that whether we're thinking about you or not, you are overseeing and watching us, that you are caring for us and you are calling us to come and to receive the blessings that you so freely give as our loving Heavenly Father. Uh, we thank you, God, for your wonderful grace and for uh, constantly calling us short and showing us the condition of our heart. Lord, thank you for setting us free from our, from our pride that in the midst of these uncertainties, 
that we can trust you. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen.